sore. What are you going through? I'm sore from F9 in 4DX. Oh, wow. I've never even yeah. been to a 4DX. I've never even seen an F movie. Tell me everything. Yeah. Same, Matt. I, okay, so my Fast and Furious experience up to this point has been uh, Tokyo Drift drifting in and out of naps. Tokyo drifting in and out of naps. Sure. Um, which I watched purely for Lucas Black. Um, and and I don't remember a single thing about what I saw. Uh, have not Had not seen a Fast nor a Furious before that or since. Um, however, it's been, you know, whatever, year and a half since I've been to the movies. My last in-cinema movie experience was Cats. So I thought, oh. all right, I got to I gotta end this fast and I got to do it quickly. Uh, I got I to gotta end this fast furiously, actually. That's right. So there's a brand new theater uh, very close to where I live. It's a Regal and they have a 4DX. And I had never, I didn't know what 4DX was. And I looked and it's just like your chair moves all around and you get little puffs of air and like water if it's raining and, or, or like, you know, if there's lightning, it's lightning in the theater. Like just so dumb. And I was like, well, that is exactly it. You spend $6 more per ticket to get a, a, a neck injury. So, sure. so we got tickets to F9 last night and we took ourselves to the new Regal Theater at the NoHo West. Matt, I cannot, t- I can't remember the last time I had more fun. It wow. is. Have you now? Okay. So you haven't seen any of the movies. No, never seen one of the movies. Okay. I, I barely understand anything we're talking about. Okay. Please walk okay. me through it. So the movies are about uh, people drive cars. Got it. That's it. Got so, it. Okay. And, and it's family and everyone's got family and you got to stay true to your family. And Vin Diesel is, Vin Diesel is there mm-hmm. and, and, and in, they drive fast cars. And that's seriously all that happens and and it's like and, and it's all these precarious things it's like oh they've got to get to the bridge the bridge is out and then whatever but then somehow like the the car will grab onto a vine and like you know go from cliff to cliff or whatever like it's it's complete it's fully ncis los angeles punctuated by roadrunner cartoons um that's and an incredible combination i'm telling you it was so it's i mean to call it dumb it feels dumb because being dumb is its entire purpose for existing, right? Right. So it's, it is it is not illuminating it at all to say that it's a dumb movie. But it, it is transcendently dumb. I could not – I honestly had so much fun. Um, they um, shoot little, like, puffs of air at you, like, when the guns are going off. So it feels like a bullet is going by you. Um, uh, there was one scene of rain, and it's just like, like this little splash of water just in your face. Just like a little, like more than a mist, but not quite a hose. Okay, so you do um, but get, just once. You get, you get damp in there. You do get a little dampened. Yeah, but not, not by much. And you do have the uh, option to turn the water off if you are the oh. Wicked Witch of the West and you don't want to melt. You can have that part turned off. But during the rain, it, feel, it was just like, like a tiny little squirt gun in your face. And Ben was like, oh, yeah, that's rain. It's like uh-huh. one little splash of water from across you that once. Um, so you get that it's, it is, uh, truly, truly a delicious experience and I cannot recommend it highly enough. The, the fast movies, which I've now seen too, so I'm an expert are fully hetero drag shows. It's just, everything is <laughs> way the fuck over the top. Everyone's super serious. John Cena's face is like, he's got like an Easter Island head and he's just grimacing through the whole thing. He's in this one. It's, 
I truly, truly, truly cannot recommend it highly enough. And Get is Helen to Mirren in this one? Helen fucking Mirren is in this one. Well, that's Helen something. Mir- Charlize Theron. Uh, oh, okay. I'm fu- sitting dude. up. Oh, my God. It is. I And I forgot both of those things until you said that. It's it's like it's aggressively stupid. It won't stay in your head. Um, it, as a first movie back, I, you can't do any better. F9. Okay, now here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. Okay, okay. Okay. I want, because, okay, because this one starts as a flashback to 1989. We learn something about Vin Diesel's character, and that comes back later in the movie. Okay, I think, not Fast 11, because they probably already wrote that. Fast 12, let's say. I say, that one starts in 1991, okay? Mm -hmm. White screen that slowly fades into the picture of Thelma and Louise's car going over the cliff. But they, like, through a series of events, they land safely on the ground, not a mark on them. Vin Diesel shows up from behind a a cactus and says, looks like you guys made it, right? And they're part of the family. And then we, we resume in the present day, Thelma and Louise at Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis's current age, are part of the family and they drive cars real fast for because of a reason this they is have brilliant. to get that oh they have to get the device there, there's a yeah, device yeah, yeah. they have to get the device uh, and, that's and, what and, I want. and brad pitt can be in it brad can, pitt the can, cowboy be in can come back this brad is pitt great you're doing a bit that is a thousand percent a legitimate believable plot for a fast and the furious movie i am 100% not doing a bit. I want okay, to okay, write okay. this movie. I want to write this movie. I want so, to see this movie. You hear my dog. My dog's enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. It's completely insane. I, I and I know and I want to write it um, not having seen any of the other uh, Fast and or Furious movies and and I'm never going to. But I Don't did see this to. one and it was it was great. Fucking do it. Do it. I need your review. You know where I thought you were going with this? What for, for your dream Fast and the Furious movie was going to be some kind of drag race Fast and the Furious crossover. An act, a drag race doing an actual drag race. Yeah, it's only you know a matter I mean? of time. It's only a matter of time. So there Honestly. you go. There's a Fast and the Furious 12 and 13. Done and done. 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 God, we're good. Uh, how was your July 4th weekend? It was so nice. We you took were on, you were Lincoln down to uh, yeah Dana Point um, and like right next to Laguna and just had like some kind of you know dog as Eloise in a hotel uh, little mm. fantasy. It was very mm. lovely. Um, you know, saw some fireworks, had some room service, did some nice walks on the beach, had a picnic, did all of it, but. Yes. One of the best parts, other than spending time with my uh, most beloveds, the other best part of it was honestly the drive to and from because we listened to my new favorite podcast, which is called Unread, brought to you by today's guest, Chris Stedman. And we'll get into all of this in the interview. But uh, first of all, we're in episode one and there's a Dave Holmes soundbite. So already you're in. You know, right. already you're like, oh, like I'm, I'm in good hands. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad I didn't say anything too stupid. Um, this podcast is so compelling. It's four episodes um, about a, a personal story from Chris's life, which we will get into. Chris, if you don't know him, is a legit intellectual. Big time. Um, 
a scholar. At, at, a, at a time when we are starved for actual intellectuals, he is one. Um, his latest book, IRL, is uh, is about the divide between our digital lives and our and our in person lives. Um, he has done a lot of thinking about it, and 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 he like he expresses it all in a way that. Uh, doesn't make you uh, angry or annoyed. He's just a uh, he's just a really smart guy, and we're so psyched to have him. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll we'll do a better description of this when we talk about the podcast during the show. But this is a you know meditation on grief and Britney Spears. Yep, and those are two things that I'm very passionate about. Um, yeah, so. He's sort of made the perfect podcast for me. I know. And how, I mean, I can't have imagined the timing being this perfect. Yes, yes. But, I know. I can't wait to talk to him about all this. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It comes out on a Friday. Who knows what will happen in the Britney Spears story between a Tuesday and a Friday? Yeah, because it is coming out at a breakneck speed. It is, yeah. Uh, it is a fast-moving situation. Much like an F9 car. That's right. There are some really fancy cars. There's a uh, like a Dodge. I don't know any. I don't know anything about cars either. Yeah, but that is That's the I thing. Know the Do- Dodge is the name of a car. Dodge is the name of a car, and and it goes vroom real fast. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Fast Nine in theaters now. See it in 4DX if you can. Yes, go see Fast Ooh. Nine and uh, listen to Unread. Matt, what do you love about your body? Not much. Oh, stop it. Do you, are you really waiting for an answer? Because we'll be here all yes. day. Just tell me about the, the show. Hey, men, women have been talking about their bodies for years. Why can't we? Why can't men? I personally um, I think I have decent calves, but I wish I had better forearms. You're a total forearm queen if there ever was one. I bet you've got gorgeous forearms, and I could talk to you about them all day. Oh, my God, you're right. We should talk about men's bodies. Yes, we should. And there is a brand new show you all should check out called Manatomy, where men talk openly and frankly and hilariously about their own bodies. Danny Wallace, uh, he is the author of the book Yes Man, which is much better than the Jim Carrey film that it was turned into. Also, a magazine veteran named Phil Hilton welcomes stand-ups, athletes, writers, big men, small men, exercising men, men who are sedentary and eat uh, processed cheese. It's awkward. It's intimate. It's funny. It's weird. It is unlike anything else. It's not a health guide. It's not self-improvement. It is a judgment-free zone. It is manatomy. That's right. And new episodes of Manatomy are available every week on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You have a lovely body, Matt. Thank you. Matt, StockX. StockX. Oh, it's the, the only, only live, live marketplace. marketplace for what's now. For what is now and next. Jeez. We have such a, I think the thing is we both have such a strong personal connection to StockX that yeah, it just becomes just difficult. Tripping over each other and ourselves to get the information out there. I actually do have a personal connection to StockX, which is that uh, I have uh, several cl- clothing items from there that Michael Grassi bought for me. And I only, I don't say that to brag, it's just a fact. And Michael Grassi is a, is a fashion snob, frankly. Oh, I've seen the guy. Oh yeah, extremely so well dressed. Any any nice thing I ever wear is a from Michael Grassi. B it's probably from StockX uh, because 
SockX, whether it's the latest sneakers, apparel, electronics, collectibles, or trading cards, everything on there is brand new and 100% verified authentic. That's right. With StockX, you have the power to shop millions of hard-to-find or sold-out products and get them at their true market value. You discover products that are on trend, ahead of the trends. Michael Grassi approved by shopping on StockX. Yep. Just download that app or sign up online to start buying and selling in just a few easy clicks. So do it. Start shopping at StockX.com. He's got a Coke Zero, or is that just a regular? <laughs> no, it's, it's a Zero. A Coke yeah. Zero. A Coke Zero, the great taste of Coke. Zero calories. <laughs> I mean, I prefer a Diet Coke, but I'm working with what I have, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go with the Coke you have. Mm-hmm. Chris Stedman, where are you? I'm in Minneapolis in mm-hmm. my apartment. Okay. How is it? Uh, it's great. I just moved into this place a few weeks ago, so still getting set up, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, happy to have just a little bit more space than I did. I, I lived in a studio apartment for the last three years, so yeah. <laughs> now I have multiple rooms. Oh, what a thrill. <laughs> and what is the general openness of uh, of Minnesota in this moment? Um, it's pretty open, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I went to Target yesterday. Target's from Minnesota, so, you know, people here love it. And right. uh, I saw very few masks. Yeah, okay. in Target. So right. we're pretty open here. All right. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I worked very hard on it. Yeah. Uh, and we just had our 4th of July weekend. How did you celebrate? Uh, you know, the 4th is actually the one day out of the year that my entire like extended family always gets together. So um, we just hang out outside all day. It was obscenely hot. And so I think I got a heat rash. <laughs> oh God! That um, was uh, it. Was nice though to be with family. It's not really, uh, yeah, it's not really a holiday I care that much about. But I am uh, always happy to be with family. And how many of these, how many conversations about unread are you having with your extended family? Is everybody listening to it? What's the reaction <laughs> been? Um, well. My sister did tell me she heard a promo for it on the radio on the way out to. Um, to the fourth celebration so nice. there was that uh, which is very strange it was on like the pop station that we listened to growing up they had a, a something every summer called the last chance summer dance and i remember i went one year and that was the year that they filmed the music video for mariah carey um mariah carey's song thank god i found you so that was mm. filmed at the last chance summer dance i was there uh you probably could see me if you squinted really really hard um yeah, um, and we had some conversations about it. I mean, some of the conversations were somebody brought it up and then another family member said, you made a podcast? Um, mm-hmm. So that was some of it. But uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, we talked is, about it. Is there also conversation in the extended family uh, like what is a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a conversation I've definitely had with some people over the course of, yeah, making this uh, show and talking to people about it um and yes that is not i i can't say that everyone in the extended family is totally clear on that still but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doing what i can to educate yeah over a certain age it's a tough sell i mean you know it's like a radio program 
Right. That's uh, you know, that's something most people are familiar with. They I can think. wrap right. their mind around it. And then when you explain the premise of the show, you know, they, that 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 might take a few more beats to sort of wrap <laughs> your head around because it's a complicated premise, which we touched on on in, in the intro. But maybe I'll I'll let you you'll say it better than we will. Yeah, I I suppose I might. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Um, I haven't honestly. I haven't talked to too many people about it yet. It's still so new. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a show that I made after a friend of mine died. Um, and it was my friend named Alex. He died in December 2019, and I found out about his death because um, he died by suicide. And shortly before he died, he set up some scheduled emails to go out to a handful of people including his family and a few close friends. And um, I got one of those emails. So um, a small group of us found out sort of all at the same time. Um, And, you know, in my email, yeah, or all the emails sort of expressed similar sentiments. So he, you know, he wanted to let us know what had happened. He wanted to let us know, you know, the decision he had made and why he made it. Um, But at the end of my email, there was a link to a private SoundCloud page. And on the night I got the email, I didn't click the link because I was just completely overwhelmed and, and was trying to figure out, which I, you know, I describe in the show, I was trying to figure out um, how to, what to do about this email. Could I track down Alex? Was, you know, I didn't know for sure if he was okay or not. Um, and uh, and so it wasn't until the next day that I followed this link. But when I did, I found a couple of audio files of these group chats that he had been a part of a decade ago um, with fellow Britney Spears fans, because he was the biggest Britney Spears fan I've ever known in my entire life. Um, fans he all that all met online. And uh, one of those fans was someone named Alice, who um, sounds exactly like Britney Spears. And so... I couldn't figure out why he sent me these files. Like he didn't really give any context for it. He just said, Oh, by the way, here's Alice recordings. And then, um, sent me that link. And so in the weeks after he died, I became really consumed with, you know, trying to understand why he sent me these files and and what he was trying to show me, um, by including them in his email. And so that began this journey to try and figure out what these files were all about and why he sent them to me. And so I was very fortunate um, to have the support and involvement of his family and friends. And as I went on that search, so that's, yeah, that's how it all got started. It's four episodes. It is, inc- it's so fascinating. Um, and it's also, it, it's very much about um, young queer identity. Um, there is, um, you get into your relationship with your voice uh, in it in a way that is so relatable and so interesting. Um, There's, there's a a tape from you at a, at a camp Mm -hmm. in which you say you're sort of trying to butch it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, It's very embarrassing. Um, Yeah. 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 When I was in high school, I went to this summer camp um, and there was a documentary film crew there and uh, they had this little confessional cabin. You know, I've, I felt very real world. Um, like I was, I would sit down in the cabin in front of the camera. And um, at one point, I, I I felt like I needed to record this little testimonial, um, basically defending myself for having a good time at camp because I was concerned that everyone would think I was like 
too goofy. And I had been told my whole life that, you know, what made me distinct, what made me who I was, was that I was academic, that I was smart, thoughtful. And so, you know, the whole time at camp, I was having fun and, and I was feeling like I needed to sort of um, explain myself or that, you know, make sure that people didn't misunderstand me. And and it's very silly. I mean, it's like, it's um, <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. But part of why I wanted to use it was um, because... I, I I listen to that audio now and I can really hear all the effort in my voice of like trying to sort of speak in a certain way. It's not just that I'm speaking lower. It's also like the the way that I'm talking is like an impersonation of a straight man. <laughs> um, and, you know, what's ironic about it is at that point I had already been out. I mean, I was literally at a camp for LGBTQ teens. I had been out of the closet for years at that point. I came out pretty young and um and yet that still was so ingrained this idea that i needed to present myself in a specific way and i i get into that in the show in part because my friendship with alex i mean there's there are many reasons why after alex died i was fixated on the audio files he sent me i mean it's just it was this sort of like strange mystery and i think you know for all kinds of reasons, like you hear this audio of someone who sounds like Britney Spears and it's like, yeah, that's uh, that's intriguing. But it was much more than just that. I mean, for me, you know, Alex was this hugely formative person in my life because when I met Alex, it was meeting somebody who was so free, who didn't have all the sort of like, you know, in, in so many ways, even though at that point, you know, I... I I was an adult. I I was had been out of the closet for a long time. I still held so much of myself back. Was still so afraid to just you know be sort of myself without reservation. And Alex was absolutely himself, and he really modeled this way of kind of liberating yourself from all of the overthinking, all of the scripting, all of the editing and hiding. And so. Um, you know, when he died, it was like uh, losing this person who had helped me find my voice in the first place. And, and I, you know, I, in, in some ways, when anyone who's close to you dies, part of what happens after they die is that you have to figure out who you are without this person in the world. Um, especially if it's someone who's been really formative. And so, um, you know, I think in the context of, like, my sense of self as a queer person, he was very, very formative in that. And so that's, I think that's part of why we got into that, or why the show gets into that a bit. It feels like a relatable friendship, I think, especially for a lot of queer people, this, you know, this incredible friend who is such a full-blown free spirit that they help you to take yourself less seriously, help you to be, you know, a, a, a fuller, truer version of yourself. And one of the many things I love so much about it is that through, you know, the stories about him and uh, voicemails of him and recordings of him, we, the audience, kind of get to fall in love with him the way that clearly just everyone who knew him in real life did. Um, and I'm curious, you know, I, I know you, you, you met as, as many queer people uh, meet friends f through a dating app and did ha take a swing at dating before, you know, quickly realizing that you were better off as friends. But can you just talk a little bit about what it was like 
during that dating period <laughs> and how you came to realize that, you know, you're better off as friends? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that's been really interesting since the show, and you know, the show's only been out for a few weeks, but one of the pieces of feedback I've heard a few times is that it, this show is kind of like a love story, but it's a love story about friendship. And I mean, it seems so obvious to me now, but I didn't really think about it that way while I was making it. I mean, I, it absolutely is a love letter to this person, but it's also about how love and friendship sort of shape us and open us up in all these ways um, that we might not anticipate. And that absolutely was the, the case with my friendship with Alex. He, you know, took me in directions I never imagined I would go. Um, and that was kind of true from the beginning. I mean, we met on OkCupid and um, I initially was like, you know, super struck by this person. I mean, he was beautiful. Um, he was so charismatic, so funny. Um, and so like, I definitely wanted to date him. <laughs> he liked me, but um, that we just had this sort of dialogue right away where, you know, we were like kind of, we kind of were seeing each other, but like, he just felt like he wasn't in a place where he could like do anything serious where he could date someone seriously. And that was kind of true, like throughout the entire time I knew him, like he never had a serious relationship the entire time that we were friends. He would, I kind of always seemed to have that mindset that like, he wasn't really in a place where he could do that. And I also didn't really get the feeling like I do. I have friends who have stayed single for a long time who I know would like to be in a relationship. That's something that they feel is missing from their lives. And I, I never really got that feeling from him. Um, and so like in a lot of ways, I think if it had been solely up to me, our relationship probably would have gone down a very different path, but it really was him saying, you know, I, I don't think that like, this is something I can do or want to do, but I still want you in my life. And, you know, and, and out of that, this really beautiful friendship was born. And so, I mean, in the beginning, you know, the lines were a little blurry. We had to have conversations about, you know, all the what are we kinds of conversations. But, uh, but then it, and, and it's so funny to think about it now. Like I was talking with some of his really close friends and his sister who all kind of became my inner circle after he died. And, we were talking about it and it was so, I was saying like it's almost hard to remember sometimes that we did kind of start out dating because you know I, it, the majority of our relationship was platonic um and so and yet like I talked to so another person in the show his friend James is also someone who met him on a dating app and they sort of had that like a, a little initial dance around what they were and um in some ways like I, I've experienced this and this in with other people as well. Like there is something really special about the friendships that you can have with someone as a queer person where, you know, the definitions of friendship maybe are a little bit different sometimes, or at least, or the relationship starts out differently than, you know, other kinds of friendships. And you, develop a kind of intimacy that um, I'm not going to say is is greater than other kinds of intimacy, but is sort of different in some ways. And I think I definitely experienced that with him where he, 
you know, and I had been really vulnerable, he and I had been really vulnerable with each other early on in our friendship in all of these ways that you have to make yourself vulnerable with someone when you're dating them or sleeping with them or whatever. And, and that was this, you know, foundation for a a very special kind of friendship that um, has been rare in my life. You know, I've had few relationships. Um, One thing I, I, I didn't really get into in the show, um, but uh, in 2016, my I, my long term relationship that I was in and ended. Um, we had been together for about five years, and um, as that relationship was first beginning to sort of come undone, um, my therapist at the time asked me, you know, because I was saying I don't really feel understood by this person anymore. Um, and fortunately, you know, that ex and I are, are great friends now, but at the time I felt really alienated from him. And I was, ta- I was talking to my therapist about this and she said, okay, so who are the people that you feel most understood by or the, the people you feel you can be most yourself with? And the very first person who popped into my head was Alex. Um, I never felt, um, you know, I, I think often when I'm first dating someone, I feel like I want to present to them a specific kind of person, the person, the version of myself that I think will be most appealing to them. And with Alex, anytime I ever tried to do that, when we were first getting to know each other, he could sense it and he would just shut it down. And he would say, like, after he died, I went digging into all of our communications. And one of the things I found was an early G chat that we had, um, a Google chat. And um, he basically like it kind of called me out a little bit in this chat. And he said, you know, I feel like you're always like trying to impress me. You're always trying to like be this person that um, you think I'm going to be impressed by. And like, I don't want that. Like, I just want you to be yourself. I, you know, I don't care about that stuff. And, um, you know, that I think really set the tone for our friendship. Um, from and, and again, I do think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, in the very early stages of our friendship, we were intimate in all kinds of ways. Um, and again, it just, yeah, it, it resulted in a different kind of relationship than a lot of others I've had. And, you know, it comes out now in June of uh, 2021. And the the Britney Spears situation um, is, I mean, your timing, you could not possibly have foreseen. No, not at all. No, um, I, you know, it's, I mean, but I will say like, so as, you know, in, in the initial sort of weeks after Alex died, as I'm mulling over this sort of mystery that he's put before me with these audio files that he just sort of dropped into this goodbye email without any context, um, right at that same time is when this sort of free Britney movement is gaining some traction online and, you know, and so it, it becomes this sort of backdrop for all these questions I start asking myself. Because, yeah, and I this is a, a theme in the show. I'm a, I'm a skeptical person. I mean, it's been like a cornerstone of my professional life to like be skeptical. And so, you know, when I got this email, and I remember, you know, Alex had talked to me about this person he met online while he was alive. And I just remember at the time being very skeptical, like, okay, well, it's obviously not Britney Spears. Like, there's no way that Britney would go online and talk to, you know, a dozen random fans in a voice chat. Um, But then, you know, after he died and he sent me these files, um, and then there's this sort of backdrop of all this free Britney stuff beginning to gain traction online. 
it just gave me pause in a way. Like, I think if that hadn't been happening, I'm not sure that I would have been as taken in by my questions about um, who this person was. But ultimately, this project felt like a way of, you know, and I mean, after someone dies again, you know, it's really, really easy. Like you need to put your grief somewhere. And for me, I'm a person who likes to stay busy. And so after Alex died, I threw myself into the work of planning his memorial with his family, raising money so that we could pay for his um, the expenses related to his death. But then when all that work was done, I still needed to put my grief somewhere. And I ended up putting it into this project. But, you know, Alex was a person who he just embraced like the absurd in life and he was not afraid of it. And my skepticism sometimes can be born out of a fear of embracing, you know, my more absurd or eccentric um, ideas or interests. And so, you know, it's safer for me sometimes to just sort of question things and, and shut those kind of curiosities down. And so as I was talking over, you know, I, I, I sort of threw it out to his best friend as a joke, like, oh, I should make a podcast trying to find out, like, who was this person? And she was the first person really to say, like, you should actually. And I realized that, you know, that was what I wanted to do. But I, you know, I was doing the thing that I so often do, the thing that I did when I first was getting to know Alex, which was just trying to present, you know, this sort of like more flattened out, version of myself and that, you know, Alex, like it, it became this project and making the show became a way of honoring his spirit, who he was as a person. It felt like leaning into all of the sort of like absurdity of it and saying like, what if this person really was Brittany? Like, what if, you know, if, if anyone in my life would <laughs> meet Britney Spears in a random fan forum and develop a friendship with her online, it would be Alex. And so, you know, um, and, and I think we all started to feel his friends and family all started to feel like there was a reason why he sent those, these files that whatever the reason was like this, this incident, this person was still on his mind at the end of his life. And we all kind of wanted to understand why. And we should say, you know, Alice, this person does say that she is not Brittany, but at the same time sounds exactly like her. That's what I mean. One of the reasons that it's it's such a fun listen is that it's like kind of thrilling to hear this voice. And, um, you know, when we I was telling Dave that my boyfriend and I were listening to this to and from our our Fourth of July weekend and kind of it was sort of a litmus test almost about faith in terms of like, do you think Alice is Brittany? Because I I was so resolute that this is a thousand percent Britney Spears. I had no doubt in my mind and he was, you know, completely the opposite. But I, I anyway, but what I wanted to ask, um, kind of getting back to the the free Britney thing is I think one thing we have seen in recent weeks is that the free, the, the true free Britney movement folks are, you know, a force to be reckoned with. And they also don't miss a beat. And Alice was, there were other people in the sort of Britney fan forums who had interacted with her and also kind of theorized that she might be her. But I got to imagine that some of the free Britney people have heard about this podcast or reached out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I definitely have heard, I mean, 
yeah, I've, uh, the responses to the show have been, I mean, I, in my mind, you know, Alice is obviously a central part of the show, but really like it's sort of, you know, it, the show in some ways, like, isn't really about Alice and right. the response really by and large so far has been sort of reflective of that, you know, that, that it really feels like the people who are responding to the show are, you know, responding to Alex. And I'm hearing so many people who say they feel that they've gotten a chance to know him and, and that, you know, that's to me, I think at the end of the day, my ultimate goal for the show was to help the world understand this person who was so special to me and who, you know, I, I think got a really, um, raw deal in life. Um, and, but, but I mean, as you say, the, you know, Britney super fans are, um, they don't miss anything Britney related online. And that was clear when I was sort of digging into this Alice mystery. Um, you know, there were people who kind of were already doing that digging already who had been doing it for a long time. And, the, you know, um, the debates were still raging. They, I was amazed to find that people were still having this debate, you know, while I was looking for Alice, like, who was this person? And there were some people who were convinced it was Brittany, and there were others who were convinced it wasn't. And so I've heard from some folks, um, you know, a, a, a really, um, I think, uh, popular Brittany fan Instagram account posted about the show, and they, they said they really loved it. And, um, really appreciated the conversation about mental health, but they made sure to say when they posted about the show that they were like, and Alice is not Brittany. So that was, mm. um, but, but then I've also heard from a lot, of, there are a lot of truthers out there. I've heard from a lot of people who, after listening to the show, have a different opinion. And um, I even just today heard from somebody who was in some of those chats with Alice and uh, th they have sworn me to secrecy. So it's not my... Um, what they shared was not my story to tell, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, my, you know, and this is what I, I say in the show, you know, I think, um, Alice went online looking for the same kinds of things that my friend Alex did. You know, she went online looking to be understood, looking to find a sense of community and support and some people who might help, who might be able to understand what she's going through. And, it felt really important to me to honor that, to honor the fact that she, you know, was. And so all all throughout my search for Alice, I really tried to handle it all as sensitively as I could. And, and really, I, you know, I hope that comes across. And I have I have heard from Alice um, that she has listened to the show. So, um, yeah. So which was she happy with how it turned out? Well, I don't want to speak for her, but um, she yeah, she I, I think she oh, was. Okay. Um, yeah, supportive of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it. I will say I did hear from someone who finished the show, and I don't want to give away the ending, so I'm right. trying to kind of like talk around what happen um, happens. But I did hear from someone who said, like, if you're a person who really, really likes answers, you might feel challenged by the show. And I'm definitely a person who likes answers. I mean, the search really for Alice begins with me feeling like, after Alex died, um, I was left with so many questions. And that's true of, you know, when anyone dies, but especially when someone dies by suicide, as Alex did, you know, there are, you're often left with a lot of questions. And 
I just kept turning all these questions over and over in my mind, including, you know, what was this Alice thing about? Why did he send me this? And, you know, I set out looking for some answers and I found some, I didn't find others. Um, but part of what I came to accept is that, you know, you, we never get all the answers. Like mm -hmm. I will never have all my questions answered um, about what happened with my friend, why he died. Um, you know, I have a better sense now. I also, one of the most special things about making this show was, you know, every, every one of us is a little bit of a different person in each one of our relationships. Each relationship gives us space to be, you know, par one part of who we are. And, one thing that was really wonderful about making this was getting to know all these different sides of Alex by talking to other people who knew him and had these different relationships with him. And, and so, you know, while I may not have answered all the questions I initially set out with, um, my hope is that folks who listen to the show will walk away with a better understanding, not only of this truly one-of-a-kind person, the most one-of-a-kind person I've ever known in my life, but also what it is, what it was about the world as it exists right now that made it, you know, for as, as much as Alex could help free other people as he did for me um, and, and help us live lives, you know, that where we could be more fully ourselves, he also lived in a world that was not set up for someone as free as him to really thrive in it. And um, I hope people who listen to the show will walk away with a better understanding of why that is. And, and um, you know, hopefully we have a lot of work to do to change um, the way that society treats people who struggle with mental illness and the ways Alex did. Um, so that's definitely a, a big hope I have for the show too. You've been obviously steeped in in this story and in getting the podcast out into the world. What have you been? What else have you been listening to to uh, to ease your mind during these difficult <laughs> um, times? That's a great question. Um, I mean, one thing I listened to a lot while working on the show was, um, you know, another. So Alex was incredibly thoughtful. Um, you know, he put together these really thoughtful emails. Um, and not only did he send out these emails, but he also included photo albums that he made, um, playlists of songs he made. And so I listened to those playlists a lot. And there's, you know, uh, music was one thing that he and I really connected over. Um, it was a huge part of his life. And um, so there was a lot of really great stuff on there. Um, and, you know, I definitely um, listened to a lot of podcasts while I was working on this. I mean, I, I already was a podcast listener, but I worked with a really wonderful team on this show. So I had an amazing um, group of people who were working on this show with me outside of the um, Alex's family and friends who were working on it with me. I had a, a great production team and um, my story editor, Aaron Edwards, um, was I, <laughs> I sort of encouraged Aaron to give me homework as I was working on the show, like give me other podcasts to listen to um, because I... You know, I'm a writer, but um, I've always written... This is my first time telling a story in audio. I mean, I, I did some radio in the past when I was younger, but um, this is my first time doing a sort of narrative podcast and, and telling a story um, in, you know, 
over audio versus a, in the written word is really different. And um, there's a lot of things you you can do in audio that you can't do um, in the written word. But there's also a lot of stuff that just like doesn't work on, in audio um, that you might be able to do in writing. And so as I, I was trying to learn on the fly how to tell stories in this medium and uh, yeah, Aaron gave me lots of homework, um, lots of really great podcasts to listen to, uh, to try and sort of, and, and then we would talk about them. We would talk about like, well, what worked in that and what didn't. And, and so, um, like which ones? Yeah. Well, um, one podcast that I listened to that, which was an assignment was, um, called Julie. Have you heard of it? Mm. It's about a woman who's dying, um, of cancer and, uh, the podcast, they were, they're sort of recording and, and she's talking about her life and about the process of dying. And, um, you know, that one was sort of thematically related. Um, but, uh, it was just this beautiful also, I think it was also four episodes, um, which we, we didn't know we were going to land on for that's sort of where it ended up. Um, but it was this beautiful, um, you know, narrative about her life, about the impact of, of loss on the people, um, around you when someone dies. And, um, so that was a, that was a great one. Um, right now I'm listening to this podcast called the turning, um, about, uh, about, uh, nuns who have left mother Teresa's order. And, uh, actually the reason I'm listening to that show is because a good friend of mine, uh, by the name of Mary Johnson used to be a nun in mother Teresa's order and she left. Um, and she's written a really beautiful book about it. And this podcast was sort of based on that book. Um, but it, it tells other people's stories as well, not just hers. And, um, yeah, she's uh, she's really really wonderful. So I'm I'm enjoying that show right now. Okay, what was on those playlists though? Oh gosh, so, well, so he made two. One was like much more sort of upbeat. Um, uh-huh. So obviously a lot of Britney, but a lot of Missy. Um, just I mean, he had really really immaculate taste. And but then there was there's another one that's um, more moody, as he put it. And um, those that playlist I listened to a lot, especially like sort of shortly after he died. Um, I had a lot of cries to that pot, that playlist. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just a really, uh, I mean, it's that pot, that playlist is sort of hard for me to go back to now um, because it's so linked in my mind to the sure. sort of immediate aftermath. Um, but I, I, I do listen to the um, more upbeat one pretty regularly who's on the moody one um actually what was so funny about it was that one of the first songs on the playlist is um uh, take a picture i can never remember if it's take a picture or take my picture by filter do you uh-huh. remember that song yeah yeah and that was one of the first cd singles i ever bought was uh, that song so that um that was sort of strange to hear and actually um it's so funny the some of the little things like that that i'm only discovering after he died or or remembering like obviously you know our memories are really um unreliable and so these are things maybe i did know and just didn't remember but i posted something on instagram the other night about watching queen of the damned um the movie with Aaliyah, and um I got a text not long after posting it from Alex's mom, um, who I keep in touch with. And she said, um, you know, Alex had the poster for that movie on his bedroom wall when he was 13, um, which I did too. It was like the only poster I had up. 
And uh, I don't, and so we had a, a funny conversation about that, but I'm not, I don't think I knew that. Like, I don't think I knew that he and I both had the poster for Queen of the Damned <laughs> on our <laughs> bedroom walls. So um, yeah, those little sort of moments of synchronicity are, um, it, you know, and, and in a way, like, you know, I sort of talk at the end of the podcast about like, in part, you know, the fact that I have all of this sort of audio and all of these memes and everything that Alex sent me over the years. Like it's a way for me to sort of continue to learn from and, and, and have this relationship of sorts with this person who played such a big role in shaping my life and little moments like that feel like these moments where it's like, okay, like he's still here in a way. Like I, you know, I'm, I don't believe, um, like I haven't felt his presence, um, uh, since he died, like I, I'm skeptical of, you know, the the concept of an afterlife, but um, he continues to live on and we continue to have a relationship and there are still like new things I can discover about him and about myself. Um, and that has brought me some peace um, in the, you know, wake of this um, loss that's just, you know, truly unjust and, um, and you know, has is I, you know, I have, when somebody dies, you have to learn how to live with that. Um, there's nothing really that makes it okay. You just learn how to live with that reality. And part of what has helped me learn how to live with the reality of Alex's death has been realizing that it's not necessarily just this hard end that I can still continue to be surprised by this person, learn from this person. Um, and in a lot of ways, like we, you know, the group of us who that sort of formed after he died, we started, we talked a lot about the gifts that Alex left behind these playlists, these photo albums, but also this sort of strange mystery that he dropped into my email, like, and, and the, this mystery that sent me on this sort of like, you know, hunt for, um, who, whoever this person was and, uh, all that, that sort of, taught me and and all the relationships that it created so yeah you you mentioned you know that and you say this in the show that you you never really like felt his presence um in the way that we might feel the presence of like a, a spirit and um i wanted to ask you about faith because i know i mean i was reading your wikipedia page not to brag uh and was reading about your um, you know, advocacy in inclusive interfaith dialogue and your work specifically in humanism. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, I mean, I a hundred percent know exactly what humanism is, but in case anyone is listening who is, has like a vague idea, but they're not fully clear, how can you define it for them? Yeah, that, I mean, that'd be very impressive if you did, because I literally didn't learn about humanism. Like I stumbled upon humanism through a friend when I was doing my master's in religion. So like if anyone should know about humanism, it's someone doing a master's in religion and I still didn't know about it. So, uh, it's totally okay if to anyone listening, if you don't know what it is, um, but basically, you know, humanism is a sort of philosophical worldview for people who don't believe in a higher power of any kind. They don't believe in a God or really often it's sort of extended to anything sort of supernatural, anything non sort of natural, um, but who still, you know, aspire to live a life of meaning and um, and, you know, want to sort of 
find ways to think about, you know, what their responsibility is to the world around them and, um, and what it means to live a good life. And so, um, yeah, for about a decade, I was a humanist chaplain. So I worked um, in higher ed um, at universities, supporting students, faculty, and members of the broader community who were not religious, but still wanted opportunities to, you know, gather and reflect on their lives and be challenged to think about how they were living in the world and whether they were living in a way that was aligned with their values or not. And, um, you know, that, uh, I, and I still consider myself a humanist. Um, I, it may not be my day job anymore. I now teach religion. Um, so I teach at a Lutheran university, but I, um, I teach a, a class that all students are required to take. It's called Religion 200, Religion, Vocation, and the Search for Meaning. And basically what we do in that class is we spend a semester talking about what makes for a meaningful life and where students find meaning in their lives. And so you know, the students in my class really run the spectrum religiously. Um, we have students who believe all kinds of different things, but, you know, we think there's a lot of, or I think there's a lot of value in having those conversations, um, both with people who sort of share your worldview and, and also in, you know, in conversation with those who don't. And so, yeah, that's been a big part of my work. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, I think like, one thing that is this theme in the show, right, is this like idea of faith and skepticism and like trying to sort of learn, like for me, part of what it means to um, be a humanist is, you know, that I'm really good at questions. I'm really good at like saying what I don't believe or, or picking apart something or like being skeptical about things. I have a harder time saying like, well, here's what I really do think or like taking that leap of faith on something and the making the show and really my friendship with Alex in general felt always like sort of this act of like learning to take these leaps of faith. Um, and that really, I do feel like was one of the sort of greatest gifts that he gave me was learning to be more comfortable with that. But, uh, yeah. And, and that is, a, I, I think deeply felt, uh, in, in listening to the podcast and it was so uh, kind of, kind of, I don't know, eerie listening to it this holiday weekend because at the same time I was in the middle of a second rewatch of The Leftovers, um, which is my favorite show and and does touch on a lot of these same themes about faith and it's kind of kind of challenging you to be able to live a meaningful life without clear answers and mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting that you say that someone told you that if you are someone who wants clear answers that the show is challenging for you, because my experience of it was like, I, I did feel like the answers were there, mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and they felt so concrete to me. But like I said, for Michael, my boyfriend, he, he had the opposite experience. Yeah. It's, so, it's always so interesting to me. And I mean, it reminds me in a lot of ways of my experience studying religion and sort of trying to navigate these like religiously mixed waters that I have over the course of my career is like two people can look at the same set of information, the same things and walk away with totally different reads on them. Um, You know, I walk through the world and I don't sense the presence of a higher power. I don't see any sort of indication that there's a God intervening in the world in any sort of way. Um, 
but you know, my boyfriend is an literally as of like a week ago, a, a clergy person, like he's an Episcopal deacon. Um, oh. and so like, yeah, where has the collar and all of it. And, you know, he walks through the world and like sees something different than I do. And, you know, I think part of what intrigues me about like, and part of what draws me to, yeah, I'm just, I think in life I'm drawn to people who see the world in a different way than I do. And Alex was very much that. Um, and sometimes that's hard, right? It's um, because they, they will push you to like outside of your comfort zone sometimes, or they'll kind of put you in this, like Alex was always kind of putting me in the hot seat. Like he was always kind of like, um, I don't want to say he was trying to make me uncomfortable because um, it wasn't like antagonistic, but like he did like, you know, uh, kind of like that conversation that I was mentioning earlier that I found after he died, that G chat that we had where he, he would just be like, I, I can tell that you're like trying to impress me, you know, and, and all the things that I like thought made me worthy or important, he would just like really lovingly tease um, or like show me like, and, and this was like something that became so clear to me after he died was that like all the things that I thought, you know, made for a meaningful life, like, I, you know, I, I don't want to sort of dismiss all of them. Like a lot of them have made for a meaningful life, but like he just had a different orientation to life. Like he had a different understanding of what was meaningful. Like for me, meaning was like in finding a job that was really like meaning based and where I could engage with questions that I really cared about. And for him, you know, what, where he found meaning in his life was being a good friend, like being that person who would always reach out to you somehow just knew like the moment you needed someone, you know, to be there for you. Like he just, he, he knew, you know, and this was a thing that everybody in his life said, so that like he could just sense when you needed someone there to be there for you, someone to lighten the mood a little, you know, to send you funny messages when you were having a really hard time. And, you know, again, this is a thing I didn't really get into in the show, but in the summer of 2017, I probably had the darkest period of certainly of my adult life. Like I, I felt I was truly adrift. I, I really was despairing and probably the person who got me through that summer was Alex. Um, he was just there. Like he just showed up in my life in a way that, um, I really needed and exactly the way I needed. Like sometimes people at very well-meaning people in my life would try and like ask me if I was okay. And I just like, couldn't go there. Like I, you know, it was too, like any, anytime someone tried to like, um, tell me it was going to be okay or what, you know, I, I just like, I was so emotionally raw that I like couldn't do it. And Alex knew just how to sort of like bring me into a conversation or, or just, you know, how to give me enough of a sort of boost to keep going. Um, yeah. Anyway, all of that is to say, like, I, I think that I, I'm so interested in the fact that you and your boyfriend had these like very different sort of responses to the, the narrative in the show, because it just is this reminder that, you know, two people can look at the world and see something completely different. And that's, that's a big part of why I'm always, I always like appreciate most, I think the relationships where I, you know, we're able to forge a kind of understanding that allows for us to have our very different ways of seeing the world and where those ways can sort of help us 
both, um, you know, they enrich us both, I guess. I'm sorry to, I, I guess, ask you to speak for Alex. He's obviously not here to ask him, but I'm curious what, what was his sort of belief system as you understood it? Like in terms of spirituality yes, or that sort yes. of thing? Yeah. I mean, we did talk about it. Um, he, you know, um, was culturally Jewish and that, you know, there was some significance there for him, but, um, you know, I think he large, he and I largely were sort of on the same page about our kind of metaphysical understanding of reality. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I will say like he was always so supportive of my work and like would want to talk to me about that stuff, but also like, he didn't take it, you know, anywhere nearly as seriously as I did. Um, and, uh, and I think that that was true of like a lot of the, those kinds of questions too. Like I, I, one conversation I had, which you hear a little bit of in the show, um, you know, someone was, I was talking with someone in his life who, you know, was saying that he, they would talk about God and, and the universe and all those kinds of things. And I know he had, you know, I think his ideas around that stuff would kind of change over time. But I think ultimately, you know, so like where I land with the God God stuff is that I'm an atheist in the sense that I think that with the information I have available to me right now, I can't say definitively. Like I, it's beyond my ability to prove or disprove or to sort of like conclusively say like there's definitely a God or there's definitely not. I just think I, I don't know. Um, and so I just sort of have to make my best guess and my best guess based on what I do know and what I have experienced and what I do sort of perceive in the world is that there's not. And so that's how I live. I live as if there isn't a God. I don't expect any sort of higher power to intervene in the world. And as soon as I sort of reached that place philosophically, I directed my attention more toward like things I could know or, or could at least get closer to knowing. So like human concerns. Um, so it's not that I became uninterested in those questions, but I became more interested in, you know, if, if there isn't a God or if I can't know if there's a God, you know, what then is my responsibility to this world around me? How should I live in this world? You know, what kind of person should I strive to be? Those kinds of questions. And I think, you know, Alex and I, you know, every now and then we maybe would get into some of that more philosophical stuff. And I, I, and I, as I said, he had different relationships with other people and it sounded like they would get into some of that stuff. But I think that he shared my sense that like what was more urgent um, was for both of us was, you know, questions about the sort of here and now um, rather than sort of wondering about what might be. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think like he definitely even in his goodbye email, you know, he talked about, um, I mean, he, he joked about coming back as a ghost, but he did talk about, um, you know, uh, he, he said, I, you know, I, um, when you get this email, I will no longer be alive. And then I think he said something about, you know, at some point in the email, like at least in this reality. So I don't really know, you know, it's, it's, it's possible. I, I think he probably was a little less skeptical about some of that stuff than I am, but, um, I do know, like, for the majority of our relationship, the focus was much more on the sort of the here and now. Um, oftentimes, uh, on this sort of, like, 
injustices of the here and now. That definitely was something that, you know, occupied a lot of his attention. To just take a um, hard turn, because we, we, we have to ask you, um, how did you and your boyfriend meet? <laughs> Online, that's where I meet most people, I yeah. think. Um, yeah, we just had, like, um, mutual friends. Uh, we met on Twitter. I'm very oh. active on Twitter. That's kind of my, like, main spot online anytime anything good happens on twitter i get i get happy it's not (laughs) uh i met my boyfriend on twitter um one of my best friends i made on twitter um yeah but we were just kind of in like mutual like you know i i tend to like move through some spaces in twitter where people are interested in like the intersections of sexuality and and faith and those kinds of like conversations and so you know he was a part of that world as well and that was where we met um but uh, it really, I don't think, it wasn't until we like followed each other on Instagram that we started talking more. <laughs> so maybe I should credit Instagram more than Twitter. That's when it gets real. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that you, you know, poured a lot of your grief and, you know, you are someone who, who wants a project and, and wants something to, to focus on. And you poured a lot of your grief into doing this podcast. And now that all four episodes are out, I know it's still new, but... How, how how does that feel now? I mean, do, has it been healing in some way? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, rem- I have this really vivid memory of um, being at Alex's memorial and so, like suddenly just being overwhelmed with grief. And I just started crying really hard um, because, I think, because there was like nothing else to do. Like it was all done. Like it was, you know, all, you know, all that day long, I was like coordinating all the details for the memorial, making sure that every piece was in place. And it was like the moment that there was nothing else to do, like that, that grief hit me. And, you know, the podcast really was consuming, like it totally, you know, outside of teaching, it was like, I made the podcast was pretty much what I did for the last year. And I'm I'm used to a book timeline where you finish a book and then there's like a year before the book comes out. And that's not how it worked with this podcast. We were like tweaking it up until the day before all four episodes came out on the same day. And we were still like making little last minute tweaks on the day before it came out. And so it really only was like once the show came out that that moment was kind of done. Like, okay, like this project is done and now I have to sort of live with the grief. But it was very different than the experience I had at his memorial because while making the podcast, I was able to do so much sort of processing and I was able to find all of this sort of beauty in Alex's story and who he was as a person. And I think maybe more than anything, what I've heard from people about the show so far is that it's not what they were expecting. Like they saw that it was a show about someone who died by suicide and they were expecting something really heavy. And the show does go to heavy places, I think, but it also has a a real lightness and humor to it. And that's all Alex. Like I can't take any credit for that. That's fully him. But um, I think that making the show helped like right after he died, I was just overwhelmed by grief and making the show helped me get back in touch with you know all of his light and his humor and um and so 
when I was finished making it, I, I wasn't sort of hit by that same kind of brick wall because I, I think I had reached a place of, again, I don't, I don't want to say acceptance because I don't accept, you know, I don't accept his death in the sense that I, I still have a lot of anger about the sort of circumstances that contributed to his death. And I think he was really failed by a lot of people and systems, especially systems. Um, but I, you know, I do accept this reality that I live in where he is dead. And, and, um, and I think a big part of that was, you know, the, the process of making the show. Um, but, and, and, you know, like in many ways it was a gift for all kinds of other grief because, you know, over the year that I spent making on the show or making the show, like, you know, I, that we, that was the year of the pandemic. And so there was all this grief about, you know, the, not only the lives of people who died during the pandemic and, you know, and who are still dying now, but also, you know, all the grief around this sort of life that we had prior to the pandemic. And, and, you know, all like, I live alone in a studio apartment at that point. And so like, I totally lost my entire social life, you know, everything like that. And that was, um, that was a huge, and that happened just a couple of months after Alex died. And then, you know, a couple months after that, my dog died and she really like was my like grounding, um, like again, living alone, living with her, like she really was everything to me. And, um, and so, you know, I, I do feel like, um, (laughs) I went at Alex's memorial um, people were getting up and we had this, you know, period where people would get up and offer some reflections about him and his life. And they were all so funny and, you know, people were sharing, I mean, they and they were incredibly heartfelt and moving too, but everyone had so many funny stories about Alex. And then I got up and I said like, well, as Alex's like most serious friend, I feel like I need to like speak to that side of who he was as a person. And it's true. Like I really am his like most wet blanket friend. Like I can make anything... <laughs> way too serious and so you know it's in some ways maybe it's not surprising to some people in my life that I'd be drawn to make this project about about loss um but I think it was this gift I wasn't expecting because it helped me process like all this like diving so headfirst into this project about loss and what loss does to us helped me make sense of all this other loss and also helped me find like that loss loss can also be a way of like um like losing alex and processing that loss like there was a lot of especially like in this little circle of people who formed like there was constant laughter and jokes and talking about you know all of alex's humor and that like loss doesn't have to be as serious sometimes as i might make it left to my own devices um so yeah, all I mean, all of that is to say, like, I'm obviously still processing, and there are definitely mornings where I wake up and I'm like, I wish I didn't make this show because I have to sort of live in this grief sometimes. Like, um, you know, no, I'm enjoying this conversation very much, so don't take this the wrong way, but, like, you know, I'm having to, like, think about it a lot, and there are definitely times when I would rather not. But at least for me, the way that I work... Um, I can definitely be avoidant. And so uh, I think I'd rather err in the direction of like really digging in on the grief than, you know, it's, there are other ways that I 
could throw myself into the work of staying busy in order that would be like more avoidant, um, which in some ways, like all of the planning for his memorial and stuff was kind of more like that because it was all about the logistics and it wasn't actually about like, how am I feeling about this? And so this project kind of forced me to confront the feeling side of things more, which I sometimes have a harder time with. So, um, well, I, I, I love the podcast so much and, uh, I, I know other people are going to as well. It's Thanks. hilarious. Wait, can we, so heartfelt. I don't want to cut you off while no, you're please. complimenting me, but, um, <laughs> we didn't even talk about the fact that, uh, Dave's in it. Oh, we did. Well, we talked about it before you came on, but yes, oh, okay. that's I been mean, covered. Did that's mention, been covered. Uh, we, we did mention okay. it. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, well, I just want to say that that was definitely one of my favorite parts of the show. And oh, one thing that I um, have heard from a lot of people is like, um, I know a lot of people who really love Britney Spears, but haven't necessarily thought about why they love Britney, because mm-hmm. you almost sort of take it for granted. Or there's all the obvious reasons why you might love Britney, because she's an incredible performer, because her music is unreal, you know, but... Um, I've heard from a number of people who've said that, like, you know, the parts of the show, Dave, where we talk about, like, Britney's significance, that helped them connect some threads that maybe they weren't super aware of. And um, I am very grateful to have had that perspective in the show. So thank you for that. Good. You're so welcome. And that was very important to say. So thank you. Yes, it was. (laughs) Um, Absolutely worth an interruption. But it's true. As usual, Dave Dave does say it best. Thank you. I'm honored to be a part of something of this quality thanks truly chris thank you so much for being here thanks for having me it was a real treat and um yeah thanks for giving me the chance to talk about grief for an hour or whatever (laughs) nothing i'd rather do honestly (laughs) i really appreciate it 